Jets fall to Jamal, former friend Jamal Adams and the Seattle Seahawks, 40-3. We look into the tank race against the Jacksonville Jaguars with the final three weeks have to offer. And we review one of the most inexcusable sequences that a coach in an offense could ever put on the football field. One that perfectly sums up the Adam Gaze era. Sable Radio, two days after the miserable performance in Seattle, which, I mean, nobody's surprised, obviously, coming off the Henry Ruggs disaster. Uh, Defensive coordinator change. Sergio Castillo has since been cut. You know, and that's a funny one, because Castillo, I liked the way Castillo looked early on. Uh, His confidence, everything about uh, how he looked, he just looked the part. He was confident, energetic, and he was good early on. But he's been cut, missed three of four in Seattle, and cut deservedly so. It's it's Ficken. It's that new guy, McLaughlin, who Douglas claimed off waivers on Monday. And uh, we'll see which one gets the scratch and which one gets the dress this Sunday in L.A. against the Rams. But we'll... we'll First, go over the game quickly and then get into some Jamal Adams stuff and then eventually run through an inexcusable sequence that perfectly sums up this Adam Gase era. 40 to 3. Jets are no, now 0 13. Not even the Rich Cotite 96 squad can claim such a feat. Uh, Seattle, 410 total yards. Jets, 185. I mean, this was a shellacking in every sense of the word. If this was at MetLife and, you know, the Jets have gotten a break with the COVID situation in terms of not hearing the booze cascade down from MetLife Stadium. If this was at MetLife with a packed house, can you imagine the noise that would be coming down from the high heavens in terms of miserable fandom? And it would all be deserved. But from that standpoint, Jets ownership, they have gotten a break. Hopefully from a Jets Jets fan point of view, the message has still gotten across to Christopher and Woody Johnson. And I believe it has. There's no way it hasn't. That things are unacceptable. And this game, as per usual, you know, Darnold and the Jets start off hot. They march right down the field, uh, setting up a Sergio Castillo field goal to take the lead, and pretty much that was it. Russell Wilson comes back, six plays, 75 yards, three minutes, five seconds, as easy as ever, and gets the touchdown to Freddie Swain. Jets don't go three and out on the next play, on the next drive. Actually, they do. They do go three and out. That leads to the Marcus May interception, which was a hell of an interception. And then the Jets get a first down, three plays, punt, leading to the second Wilson touchdown. He had four on the day, and pretty much that was all she wrote. Jets fumble a play later, a drive later. Jason Myers field goal. Misery ensues, as per usual. 
As for Frank Bush taking over defensive play calling duties, I had, didn't really see much of a difference, to be honest. Here is the first Seattle touchdown. Wide open, Freddie Swain running right down the seam. It's pretty much a four-verts situation. And how the Jets handle this, I have no idea. What are they doing? It's a bit of an inverted look, eventually going to a three-deep where the single high safety has a deep middle third and Javelin Guidry lined up in the slot. We'll take a deep third. And this player, I'm not sure who that is. I think that's May. We'll take the other deep third. They're not matching. Guidry, you see him make that jump right away to that deep third. And he's going he's gonna to look and lock on to that number one weapon uh, to the top of the screen as his first read. I they're not matching obviously because Freddie Swain runs wide open, but it's they're kind of in between. They're kind of in between matching and just playing straight spot drops, which makes no sense in the world, especially in this league, to do. So I don't know. It's a continuation of Greg Williams, pretty much. I, I didn't see anything different other than Henry Anderson playing more edge which I absolutely hate. And at this point with Guidry range so over, see in a match situation, you're going to see the deep three, one, two, three drop. But if it's a match situation, the corner whose number one read is the first weapon, the wide out. If he has no number two read threatening his area, he's going to stick. He should stick to that number one read and continue to get depth. And Guidry would then know, Hey, match situation, deep third. I got to pay attention to the number two weapon, which is the seam, which is the slot. Same goes for the other side. Look at Bless Austin getting depth. But instead, Gidry goes right to the number one. Uh, the single high safety. I can't tell if that's May or May or not. Probably is May. Can't decide on which seam. And he's pretty much a no man's land. And it's just entirely too easy. So from Frank Bush point of view, you know, nothing really changed. Uh, the momentum from the Rugs play probably carried over. And Seattle's offense is ridiculous. Russell Wilson is just, you know, if he's not the best quarterback in the league, he's number two behind Mahomes. Rodgers rounds out the top three, most likely. It, the, the surprising thing is, how does Darnold and this Jets offense not do anything offensively? How is that possible against the league's worst pass defense, against the league's second worst defense overall? How is it possible? I know Mims didn't play, but Perryman was there. Perryman with Flacco is a completely different receiver than Perryman with Darnold. And, you know, I, I got crapped on for telling the world Flacco would give the Jets a better chance to win than Darnold. But it's true. It's true based on Gase's antiquated offense and just a lot of the struggles Darnold's been going through. Uh, Crowder, much better with Darnold, as opposed to Flacco. Darnold, he doesn't take chances. He's in that mode, that Mark Sanchez mode with Rex Ryan, where if you don't turn the ball over, but you don't score any points, it's a win. That worked a decade ago with a great defense. Good running game. It doesn't work in NFL 2020, and it doesn't work especially with the Jets roster. So Darnold's all fouled up. We know this. Uh, the fact he could only put up 
132 yards is incredible. Uh, Seattle's rush defense isn't bad. They like to stop the rush quickly, early, which kind of hurts their pass defense a lot. Uh, Norton does that. He's an old school mind where he stops the run no matter what. And if it hurts the pass defense a little, so be it. I think that thinking is wrong in today's league. You've got to balance it out. But away we go. Jets score three points. Seattle goes 40. Jamal Adams gets his vengeance on the team he once called home. And after the game, Adam Gase spoke to the media. He told everybody he hugged Jamal, but wouldn't go into details into what he said. Couldn't really understand what he was saying, but it it was clear he wasn't going to offer that up to the media. You know, it was a personal moment. As a head coach, you don't want to offer it up. Jamal told the world what he said. And interestingly, it follows the same theme under Joe Douglas, the same appropriate theme. With the Gase talk today, there's going to be positive and negative. This is the positive, but just wait for the negative because the negative is one of the more inexcusable things you'll ever see for a football team. The positive, I mean, think about Gase. Here's a guy who's pretty much done. He knows it. He's going to be looking for a job. He has no reason to play nice. He has no reason to be friendly. He has no reason to do anything for anyone else at this point. I mean, yeah, he can't go off the deep end and go crazy. He'll never work in football ever again. You know, what he does, how he conducts himself will determine a a possible future job. But other than that, he has no incentive to go overboard in terms of the niceties. Uh, Yet, what he told Jamal Adams after the game is interesting. And Jamal Adams revealed it, interestingly, even though players also sometimes follow that logic of not allowing the one-on-one conversations, private conversations, to leak out into the media. Which tells you something about Jamal, which we'll also get into a little bit. But, quote, he told me to go get one. He was talking about a Super Bowl. A lot of the guys came up to us, and I don't want to blow our guys heads up, or myself, which I'm not, but they were just saying that we have a great team, and we've always believed in that. But he just congratulated me, wished me well, told me to stay healthy. Uh, In terms of great team merit, do they have a shot? Of course, you always have a shot with Russell Wilson and that offense in an offensive league. Uh, But that defense, I'll tell you what, if anyone still thinks keeping Jamal was the right move, you need to go to the doctor. Uh, Who was Rodney Dangerfield's doctor? Uh, I can't even pronounce it, man, I forget. Uh, Damn, I wish I could remember. But dial his number, find the phone book, dial it. Even though they don't make phone books anymore, you know, it works in my sentence. So roll with it and get your head examined. You know, Adams is not the difference between 0 and 13 and 8 and 5 or 7 and 6 in a possible playoff run. He's the difference in maybe 0 and 13 and 1 and 11. Look at Seattle's defense. It has not improved, it's gotten worse. Jamal is a tremendous player. I still think he gets a raw deal in terms of his coverage. That's how bad Seattle's pass rush is. 
and defenses as a whole. So I think he gets a raw deal when getting judged in that area. I like him as a player. I think a lot more than most. But his prime and his possible mega contract with the Jets does not coincide with the Jets' growth, with the Jets' plan. Jets are so bad. They've been so terrible over a decade. That it's going to take longer than one draft, two drafts. It takes a while to build that culture, to get the right guys in, to build that infrastructure. And on top of that, with a salary cap complicating things, you don't dish out big-time money to a safety. You just don't. I think safety is a lot more important than it used to be in the NFL. It's raised a few notches, but it still doesn't touch quarterback, tackle, even center, receiver, edge rusher, cornerback, interior defensive line. Safety falls after those positions. So you just don't do it. But Adams revealed Gase was being nice, playing nice, hugged Jamal. We didn't see it on the camera. At least I didn't. Maybe it was there. And told him to go get a Super Bowl. Class move. Respectable move. Even if you curse Gase every night before you go to sleep, as you pray at the foot of your bed, Usually praying and cursing don't go together, but I've been known to come across a few who've done so. You can't hammer Gase for this. It's the right move. No matter what the guy did to you or did to the organization previously. Here's a guy who hammered Gase on his way out. Called the Daily News, exclusive interview, was still a Jets employee, bashed the organization, bashed the head coach, and that was the final straw. What does the Gase message send? It's not personal, it's business. And that's Joe Douglas's motto. That's the Jets organization's motto for getting out of this mess that's been created for well over a decade. I shouldn't say well over, about a decade. The moment Rex Ryan came in, he did a hell of a job coaching that team. But with Tannenbaum, a salary cap guy, a financial guy, a money guy. Rex was heavily uh, involved in the personnel decision. And from that moment on, you know, Idzik came in for two years, another money guy. It was all downhill from there. McCagnan felt like he had to do something really aggressive, did that in 2015. It was fool's gold. And the drafting was just piss poor for eight to 10 years. So that's the strategy. Don't ruffle any feathers, fly under the radar, be complimentary, limit the leaks in the building, don't feed into any noise, any extra noise the New York media creates or players create. Don't Also, don't be that organization that allows players to play you like a fiddle on the open market and get better money from other teams, a la Kirk Cousins. It takes time to reverse course and to send that message out to the rest of the league that, hey, this is not the same franchise. This is not the same organization. Quote, Jamal, I don't have any hate towards, not even just Gase, to the organization. Everybody just has different views and we had to move differently. 
We had to take a different leap. Obviously, the trade happened, and I'm happy to be here. I wish those guys nothing but the best. I really do. I mean that. I know a lot of the Jets fans don't think I'm really coming from the heart, but I really am. I'm thankful for my time over there. End quote. Uh, Jamal, again, we'll get into it in a little bit. I actually think he does mean that. It's just his self-serving actions don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Gase, uh, Joe Douglas, this is what Joe Douglas said following the trade that sent Adams to Seattle. Quote, this is a business and you don't, th- you don't take things personally. Obviously, there's a reason why those things were said, referencing Jamal in the New York Daily News. I don't take those things personally, and I don't think anyone took those things personally. You kind of understand why those things were said, and I can promise you that didn't affect any of our decision-making that happened over this last week, end quote. Is he lying? Of course. Of course, the way Adams tried to nuke the organization affected his decision-making. But again, to project that it is a business is the most important thing here. You can't ever allow emotions to run a football operation. Can't. The moment you get attached to certain players based on emotions is the moment the whole ship starts crumbling down. The salary cap gets destroyed and you're running on pure gut rather than formulated outcomes. So tip the cap to Gase for this following the Douglas motto, following the new organizational motto, which is, hey, it's not personal, it's strictly business. Whenever Jamal Adams speaks about the Jets, and he's done it on too many occasions since he's been traded, something uncomfortable about him oozes. And I think it's because deep down, he's a good kid, he's a good person. He's just conflicted. He's impatient. He wants to win now. He watched LeBron James in in 2010 shock the world and go to South Beach, become the villain, win two championships, you know, and then be hailed as the hero, that turnaround. If you win those chips and you win those rings, it doesn't matter what you did getting there, you know, barring something completely egregious, obviously. But in terms of sports business strategy, it doesn't matter how you got there. If you win the chips and you become victorious, and you're the hero. It's the Michael Jordan, ESPN, new era athlete way. And Jamal recognizes this. He's a, uh, you know, he's, he's part of the Jordan family, the Nike family. He looks up to Kobe, to Jordan, to LeBron, and the way they've conducted themselves and chasing that ring so obviously that was his first frustration with the jets there's no question next was the money and there's no question the jets didn't value jamal in the same light as seattle theoretically maybe they did it's just that each organization's timetable was on completely different levels seattle's ready to win now the jets are not and paying a safety that much money when you're not ready to win now while you're trying to build an infrastructure, again, call Rodney Dangerfield's doctor, have your head examined if you do such a thing. 
But if they valued Adams the same way Seattle did, they would have paid him because Seattle gave up a boatload for him. But Adams, even after this victory, maybe it helps a bit, but even after spanking his former employer, he he's trying to solve his own personal riddle involving the Jets that's just not solvable. He wants what he wants, but he wants the world to know he doesn't want his reputation to take a hit. He knows what he did was wrong. He, he values team and family. You could see that. The way he conducted himself with the Jets prior to all the troubles, he was a good teammate. He stayed after the green and white scrimmage to sign autographs with the fans, take extra time out. He understood the little things were important. He understood being a good teammate was important, being a great family member as part of a bigger family is important. That's why it hurt him to actually do what he did, to destroy an organization publicly, to get his way. Now, if I'm a GM, I wouldn't touch a guy like that with a 10-foot pole because if a guy demonstrates he's willing to do whatever it takes to get his way once, he'll do it more than once. But from that standpoint, you know, and I compared it in this article, if you're watching on YouTube, I compared him to Walter White a bit. You know, Walter White's clearly a terrible person, whereas Jamal is not. But they both valued family. They both valued that structure. And they wanted what they wanted. You know, Walter wanted that secret life, that villainous life, that empire. Jamal wants the same thing, but for his brand name. They wanted what they wanted. And they wanted to get it no matter what. They would do whatever it takes to get it. Except they didn't want anything to change in terms of their family life. In terms of how they are perceived as a family man. And in Jamal Adams' case, as a teammate. So trying to project that, that hey, this was just business. This was just a strategy to get out. Doesn't quite work because you're being a terrible teammate. And trying to resolve that that actual uh, line of thinking is very difficult for Jamal. He just can't do it. He's trying to find a reason as to explain to everybody why he did what he did and why it was justifiable. And I don't care if the Jets don't win another game for 10 years. It's still not justifiable to act like that as a teammate, as an employee. Adams' words on Friday before the game. Again, many of the same things he said after the game that we just went through. He wished all the Jets fans well, even though he trashed them on social media on many instances this past offseason. He wished the organization well, even though he trashed them. He wished Adam Gase well, even though he trashed them. Quote, Adam Gase, we had a solid relationship. That was anything but the case in the New York Daily News article. I don't hate Adam Gase. I don't hate Adam Gase. He says it twice. I just didn't feel he handled certain situations well as a head coach. That's just my opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, just like you guys are. I have no hate towards Adam. Obviously, things are not going in a positive way in New York with the record. If Adam comes up to me and shakes my hand, I'll shake his hand. There's no love lost, which I don't think he wanted to say that. That's the opposite of what he was trying to convey. Listen, I'm at peace. End quote. 
the more he talks on the topic, the more you get confused. You don't know which way he's going. You don't know what he's trying to convey. You just know he's trying to talk his way out of a situation, similarly to Walter White. For Breaking Bad fans, remember the Fly episode in season three, late season three, where, you know, Walter convinces Jesse they have to kill this fly. They have to, even though they don't. Walter, as he's succumbing to the sleeping pills Jesse gave him, slipped in his drink, really drugged him, drugged the man. He goes on a ramble about how he feels like there was a perfect combination of words to relay to Skylar, his wife, to make everything perfectly perfect, to make everything good again, to make everything the way they used to be. He always thought there was a way a perfect combination of words could convey what he's trying to say and make Skylar understand the situation. That's who he was. He was a data-driven man. Data, science, there has to be a formula. That's how Jamal's kind of acting right now. And that's how he's acting up until this point. Hopefully, it resolves for him and he doesn't talk about the Jets anymore. Uh, Moving on, this week's a little different. With the media, with the matchup, he's going to have to talk about it. I understand that. But there's been many... Uh, situations where he's talked about it and he didn't have to, you know, hopping on a podcast, uh, saying it was, he fell into a deep depression, claiming it was the losing culture, at other times claiming it was the money. There were a million different reasons for why he was unhappy and wanted to be traded. There was never just that one reason. And the more he talks, the more it becomes unclear that he doesn't know exactly the sole reason that there isn't and the more it becomes clear he's battling a battle within himself quote the guys that make the decisions over there they just didn't value me like seattle does and i appreciate that he said on friday before the game there's no hard feelings towards them they had different views i had a different view but at the end of the day i'm just happy to be where i am and i have an organization that believes in me Believes I can get it done and thinks highly of me. That's all I can ask for, man. It's just about respect for me. It's not just, end quote, it's just not all about respect for you. It's all about money. It's about winning. It's about the head, it's about a lot. And that's the problem. Quote, man, we finished seven and nine, right? And we came into the locker room and everybody was happy, clapping it up. And it was just like, what do I really want? And he said this on the All Things Covered podcast. Can I stand this again? Because, bro, I fought depression in New York, and I'm man enough to say I fought depression. End quote. It's just, it keeps going on. And the more the floodgates open, the more you get confused. Quote, at the end of the day, I did what's best for my family and myself and my career. I took a chance on myself at 24 years old. Many people didn't think that a 24-year-old would get out of his situation. They thought I was crazy. They thought I was a baby. They thought everything, but I stuck to it. I knew who I was as a person. I know my worth. And like I said, I have nothing but respect to the Jets organization. I pray one day that they do figure it out and they do get the ball rolling because the fans deserve it up there. 
all the Jet fans deserve a positive season, a chance at the playoffs, a chance at the run. They deserve that because they're so passionate. They're so loyal to the Jets. Like I said, nothing but respect and love. All love. I'll always understand where I came from, who drafted me, because that plays a big part in the journey. Like I always say, the marathon continues. Just too many words, too many thoughts. Like Walter White is trying to talk himself into believing something, trying to convince himself of the world of one certain something, and it's just impossible. Only time can solve what he's looking for. And probably that's forgiveness. Not from just Jets fans, but from anyone who views him in a cockeyed way after what he did. Because, yes, it does matter what he did. These guys are independent contractors. And a lot of GMs are hesitant to give guys who are trouble, who will do anything to get their way, the benefit of the doubt. And Jamal knows this. So that's his quest right now. The best thing he could do is talk about it humbly, quietly, very rarely, and go about his business and do the best he can for Seattle. Why I think he's not a bad person, why I think he does care, is because he talks about it so much. When he's not prompted, he talks about it. He can't get the Jets out of his head. The Jets have been terrible this year. Now, give him credit, he's never taken any cheap shots He's never used social media to make fun of his former employer. And again, that's another reason. I don't think he's a bad guy in terms of really malicious. Uh, If he was, he'd probably avoid it altogether and just say next next question and move on with a stone-cold face. But he's not. He wants everybody to love him. Finally, we'll quickly get into one sequence in the Jets-Seahawks game that is the most inexcusable thing you'll ever come across in football and something that sums up an entire Jets era with just 10 seconds left. Stopped clock. Braxton Berrios gets out of bounds after Sam Darnold finds him wide open on a deep crosser against a deep three, uh, deep three zone that was playing on top of a six-man rush, I believe. Nope, five-man rush. Darnold finds him, good concept, deep crosser, expecting a cover three, turns out to be a deep three behind a blitz, and Jets are set up. They're down 23-3. Yeah, no one one thinks in the world they're going to come back and win this game. But in football, to get something going before the half, build that momentum, is a crucial thing. Here, if you're watching it on YouTube, you're seeing it. Barrios does the right thing, gets the yards, and gets out of bounds. Great. Set up at the 10, excuse me, at the 29 of Seattle. 10 seconds left, one timeout. They break the huddle with 13 seconds. You're still fine. Get up, run the play. And at this point, they have the entire field open to them against the league's worst pass defense with a timeout, which means you could do anything. You could isolate Crowder. In the middle of the field, you could run four verts and attack the seams. Hopefully it's a three deep and work off that. You could do anything. You got the timeout in your back pocket, which is needed for a field goal attempt. Jets break the huddle late. 
Darnold, no urgency. He's looking at the play clock. He sees it. He knows time's running out. There's just, it's all messy. There's no crispness. Perryman is loafing his way to the other side of the field. Jets have to call timeout. Rich Gannon on the broadcast couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. And he's right. This is the most inexcusable thing. I don't care if you're a 12 and one team that's fighting for a number one seed or the 0-13 Jets. This can't happen ever. If I was Adam Gase, I'd jump off the roof if this happened to my football team. You know, the 11 fans who watched the game, they should get paid for having watched this. It's, it's completely absurd. Can you imagine a Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick run team doing this? And yeah, there are rarities. There are instances when crap happens. But this has happened far too often in the gay era. Sloppiness, messiness, no sideline presence at all. No general presence at all. Hierarchies in football are critical. We've talked about it before with the front office hierarchy, how the Jets have run it since Parcells. I don't really agree with it. I want a clear guy at the top, at least with Joe Douglas. He has final say over personnel. And a lot of other teams run it the same way, where the head coach and general manager report to the owner. But it also applies to coaching. When Matt Rule was interviewed by the Jets, he was interviewed by, I forget who it was, a media outlet shortly after. I think it was uh, in Texas, somewhere near Baylor. And he commented that he never wanted to be a part of an arranged marriage, alluding to the fact that Greg Williams was part of the deal for the next head coach. While never proven true, it certainly seems like the case. Gase is the head coach of the offense. Greg Williams is the head coach of the defense. This leads to so many issues in football. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. You need a clear guy at the top. You need that authoritative voice. You need the lieutenant who is the guy that oversees everything and who is the voice that everyone follows. You know, think about the Henry Ruggs play. If Gase was that guy, if the Jets had that head coach, maybe he puts an end and calls timeout once he hears the cover zero blitz come out of Greg Williams' mouth on that play. Doesn't happen. With personnel, Greg Williams had a final say over the defense. Substitutions. When Bless Austin got benched in the Pittsburgh game last year, Gase was asked about it after the game, and he really had nothing to say because it was obvious Greg Williams is the only guy that had anything to say on that you know, in that instance where Bless Austin got benched. So the clear hierarchy is an issue in this area, but the Jets from Gase to Todd Bowles to Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan had two great years, but in time management, you know, sloppiness, it was not good under Rex. Mangini, terrible time management guy. He ran a tight ship. He did a lot of good things. Uh, 
you know, in favor of the culture. But again, not good. Herm, terrible time management guy. Although Herm, again, I, I have no issues with Herm. Herm was a good coach with the Jets. The Jets haven't had that Bill Parcells type since Bill Parcells. And that is their top clear objective to get that alpha dog this coming January who will inspire not just the personnel, but who will oversee every facet of the football organization other than what Joe Douglas does and what Joe Douglas leads. But the head coach will be in on it too, obviously. This situation, what happens, obviously Castillo missed his third field goal of the game. He was just completely in his own head at this point. And instead of 20 to 10 or 23 to 10 or 23 to six with the field goal, feeling good going into half, it's just a miserable feel. And and this, it's just an inexcusable thing that can never happen. Gase, as per usual, shouldered the blame after the game. Quote, I screwed that up. That was on me. I screwed our guys up as far as trying to get too cute on one of the play calls. That was my fault. End quote. It certainly looked like it was Gase because the offense got up there. Donald was ready. Uh, It's not guaranteed that it was just Gase, but Gase has been shouldering the blame a lot lately. A couple weeks ago, he took blame for the Darnold's lack of development, but it's not also a new thing. He he shouldered the blame when Avery Williamson went down for the year in Atlanta in the preseason in 2019. He's done it a lot more than people think. It's just getting highlighted a lot more now because he's ready to go. He's on his way out with three weeks left. Uh, And even though Gase knows it, how inexcusable it is, it still continues to happen. And it's not just time management. It's personal fouls. It's false uh, false starts, uh, dead ball penalties, anything that involves the mental game, any, any mental unforced error has just been ramped up and kicked up a notch in the Gase era. And it, it was bad under Bowles as well. Don't get me wrong. But Gase... This play highlights an entire era. There's no question about that. The race for Trevor Lawrence. uh, Congratulations, Jets. You will pick no worse than third in the 2021 NFL draft. They have cemented the third overall pick. Obviously, picking third is an unmitigated disaster in the eyes of Jets fans, and I agree at this point. But in classic fashion, 0-13 might not be good enough. The Jags are still one game behind. They get destroyed this past weekend. And it's not a full game lead. It needs to be viewed as a half game lead. With a strength of schedule percentage at 596, the Jets' schedule is one of the most difficult schedules that we've seen in a long time. In the NFL, the Jags are at 546. That tiebreaker, the strength of schedule is a tiebreaker. That race is over. Technically, I still think it's possible. I'm not sure about the math, but for all intents and purposes, it's over, folks. So any Jet win and Jags loss flips it. So the game, game lead can't be viewed that way. 
it's only a half a game, which means there is no room, no margin for error whatsoever. Good news is Gardner Minshew will be starting this weekend. And the schedule for the Jets the next two games isn't easy. They got the Rams this weekend, and I think everyone could uh, predict what's going to happen there on December 20th. Then they come home against Cleveland, a good Cleveland team coming off a tough loss against Baltimore Monday night, which everyone's calling the game of the year, and it was a good game. Don't get me wrong. But I view a game of the year as great offense and great defense. This was putrid defense. It was NFL in the year 2020. Quarterbacks running wild. Guys running wide open in the secondary all night long. Terrible tackling on that Kareem Hunt, that final Kareem Hunt touchdown where they tied it up. What was Humphrey doing on that tackle? I can't even explain it. I got to see it again. Hunt just caught the ball on a, on a quick smoke on the outside. And Humphrey didn't even make, didn't even attempt to make the tackle. Hunt just went right around him and scored. A uh, second guy came over to try to prevent it, but he hit the pylon. The tackling was awful. Entertaining game, no question, but the defense was just terrible. Uh, Browns at MetLife in two weeks. Uh, some people could think it's tricky, but still, the Browns are a good team. And obviously the game circled on the calendar is Jets at New England. Final game of the year, January 3rd. For the Jags, at Baltimore next week, not going to be easy for the Jags. Home against Chicago, which could be the interesting one for the Jags. That could be the interesting one. And then the final one at Indy, which is going to be tough. The key... And it looks like the Patriots aren't going to be playing for anything week 17. That was the key. Needing the Patriots to be playing for something that final week. The Ravens win last night really hurt that shot, that opportunity. Uh, I think they're technically still alive, but it's not looking good. And the Colts, the Jets fan wants the Colts game, that final Colts game against the Jags to not mean anything. So they rest guys. How that's shaking out, I don't know. Obviously, they're still in the thick of it. So right now, and unless something changes, it's going to mean something for them. So hang on to your seats. This is going to come down to the wire. And the Jets will probably have to lose out to get that number one pick. I know Joe Douglas isn't thinking of it in that vein. He's thinking he could build no matter what pick he has. But then again, that's just the public persona. He knows how important Trevor Lawrence is. Across the league, Rams beat New England. We saw it on Thursday night, 24-3. It was a stinker of of a game. Cam Newton is just... I, I don't know. Watching him throw now, I don't know how he ever threw the ball prior. It, it He doesn't extend his arm. It looks like he shot putting the ball, throwing from his ear. It's a very strange way to throw. Rams were all over him. KC, Miami. Miami did well early, especially Flores' defense, picking off Mahomes' choice in the first quarter. But Tyree kills just a monster. Another touchdown, 79 yards. Kelsey, 136 yards. Touchdown, Mahomes, two touchdowns, three picks, and they still win. Uh, Tua was okay, 28 for 48, 316 yards, two touchdowns. 
Cowboys actually get a win, go to four and nine, and they're still alive for the division, which is hilarious. They beat Cincy 30 to seven. I didn't see much of this one yet. Here's Tennessee Jacksonville, Derrick Henry, 215 yards. That Tennessee offensive line is just incredible. What they do on a week-to-week basis is amazing. Tannehill, 19-24, 24 pass attempts in today's NFL is a low number of attempts. You know, this game, a route from the start, 31-10. Tannehill probably would have attempted 14, 15 passes 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Arthur Smith, a name to keep an eye on for the Jets head coaching soon-to-be head coaching vacancy. Cardinals-Giants, 26-7. Giants, Daniel Jones returns and gets shellacked. Poor performance. Colt McCoy made a cameo. Daniel Jones didn't look healthy. Cardinals aren't a great, greatly coached team. Kingsbury has great concepts. But remember, when first-year play callers, first-year head coaches come into the league, they usually jump all over the league but the league adjusts to them. So the true test for Kingsbury will be next year, will be the year after. Will he adjust to what the league adjusts to him is the question. Giants losing opens the door for Washington, who took advantage. But first, Houston, Chicago. Chicago destroyed Houston. Again, I didn't see much of this one. Uh, Trubisky, strong performance, 267 yards, three touchdowns Montgomery 113 yards and 11 carries and a touchdown you know Montgomery has been a guy with a has been pretty poor in terms of average yards per carry but this game really puts him over the top in that regard uh Denver Carolina Denver is five and eight now after starting off poorly pretty much a mirror of last year they started off poorly last year started to rebound a little bit uh Drew Locke 280 yards, four touchdowns. Bridgewater, not the greatest game. Uh, They ran three in. Mike Davis had two. Bridgewater had one. What did Robbie Anderson do? Eight receptions, 84 yards. He hasn't been scoring touchdowns this year. He has the yards. He has the receptions. He hasn't been scoring touchdowns, but he will make the Pro Bowl. Tampa Bay, Tom Brady improved to eight and five, beat Minnesota, who is in the playoff race. More so before the week started, but still at six and seven, barely hanging on. And Tampa's a strange team. Ronald Jones is going to get surgery. I don't know if he's going to play this weekend. Um, but Tampa's a strange team. They don't have what it takes to win to win the whole thing. Uh, the marriage, the combo between Brady and Arians, and all the weapons—it's just a strange one. And they're they're a team with a ceiling. Indy. Vegas, 44-27 Indy. Paul Gunther gets fired after the game. He should have been fired last offseason. He just has not adapted to the new ways of NFL defense, similarly to Greg Williams. Uh, We talked about this, or at least I wrote about this a couple weeks ago before the Raiders-Jets game, where Gase, Gruden, Gunther, and Greg Williams were all four old-school coaches who just haven't adapted to the new ways of the NFL you know, the college principal laden ways of this new NFL that's not as physical, that can't be as balanced as it used to be, where rushing is not a necessity 
and stopping the run isn't as important as it once was. I mean, it's still obviously important, but that balance between run and pass defensively is so much more critical. And guys like Williams, Gunther, just haven't caught up to that fact. Chargers beat the Falcons 20-7. to Both teams are 4-9 now. Raheem Morris takes a tough loss. Justin Herbert is pretty damn good. Two touchdowns, one pick, 243 yards. Not the greatest game in the world. Eckler, uh, back from injury. I think this is a second game back. Might be third, second or third. 79 yards, 15 carries. Ridley goes over 100 yards on six catches and a touchdown. The shocker of the day. Eagles beat the Saints 24-21. Listen, eventually Sean Payton's, Sean Payton's team was going to slip up without Breeze. Taysom Hill has been good, but there are limitations in his game. There are severe limitations that help the defense. 28-38, uh, 291 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Looks good on paper, but you know a lot of paper looks good in today's league. Every quarterback can put up stats in today's league. Darnold, for example, he could have excellent seasons in the NFL moving forward. But that's not how you judge a quarterback these days. How you judge a quarterback is, does he have what it takes to get through every round of the playoffs and beat legit defenses on a regular basis? That's the key. Can he make every throw? Can he win from the pocket only? It's becoming less important as the years go on in this league, but it's still critical. A quarterback who has to rely on his legs for his game to work to stud level is a quarterback who is uncertain in big games. And that's Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, you know, you can't rely on him in big games. This was bound to happen eventually. Jalen Hurts, 17 to 30, 167 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for 106 yards on 18 carries. Man, 18 carries for a quarterback. That's got to drive a defensive coordinator up a wall. Packers 31, Lions 24. Not much to discuss here. Lions hung with them, but Aaron Rodgers was too much. Aaron Jones didn't do much in this game. To the chagrin of a lot of fantasy owners, Rodgers throws three touchdowns. Giants loss opens the door for the Washington football team. 23-15 over San Fran. Huge win. They are now first in the NFC East. Alex Smith, Haskins, they both get in this game. And pretty much they relied on, without Antonio Gibson, they relied on the run game and mainly the defense. Chase Young made a huge play. Uh, They scored a touchdown. I think it was Young that scored the touchdown. Um... But in any event, he was in on the play. I know that for a fact. Their defense, their front seven is scary. Pittsburgh-Buffalo, I watched this game. Tomlin is funny. He benches Deontay Johnson after a couple couple early drops. And that puts the entire Steelers offense into a fog in the first half. Yet, I agree with it. I agree with the move. You know, if one player is not doing his job and that hurts the rest of the team, so be it. You obviously can't do it all the time. You can't do it in the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe you can, but it 
raises the level of importance of each person's responsibility that much more. As soon as Deontay Johnson came back in the game, he was either at the beginning of the fourth quarter or at some point in the third, Roethlisberger started clicking and the Steelers offense started clicking. And they marched down the field, scored a touchdown. I think Juju finished it off. And they cut it to eight. And it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, but Buffalo Buffalo came right back. Josh Allen hit a huge third down. I think it was a third and 10. And away they went, make it a two-score game with a field goal. And that pretty much capped it. So Pittsburgh has now lost two straight. I don't think they've ever been as good as their undefeated record would have you believe. Finally, Ravens-Browns, we touch on it, 47-42. They say it's the game of the year. I say it's it was the most entertaining game of the, game of the year, but a poorly played football game at that. Terrible defense. Lamar Jackson wears the cape, comes back after cramps, fills in for an injured Trace McSorley. And, I mean, if Marquise Brown was any more wide open on that play, he would have been standing in the vacant parking lot what the hell was Cleveland doing defensively on that play? And Lamar underthrew it. If you watch the play, he underthrew the ball. Guys just run wide open in this league, especially in a game like this that gets broken and just gets out of control. So Jets, Rams this Sunday, Jags, Ravens this Sunday. Those are the two key matchups for Jets fans this week uh, for number the number one pick with Trevor Lawrence as those Clemson colors dance in your dreams at night. Clemson, Notre Dame, ACC championship was, which also should be interesting. Uh, Lawrence's next contest that's coming up soon. And uh, pretty much, I mean, we're pretty much getting to the end of things here in the end of an era in terms of Gase, uh, the Joe Douglas era, just warming up. And if Douglas could put together another draft like he did this past season, and it's interesting, look at the Browns, what they did. They hired Stefanski, right head coach. They drafted Wills right before the Jets, drafted Becton. I wonder if Douglas would have taken Wills instead of Becton. Nobody will know. But they draft Wills, who's been good. They signed Conklin for the right side. And when you invest in the offensive line, good things happen. When you get the right guy at head coach, you invest in the offensive line, good things happen. Baker Mayfield went from uh, showing good things as a rookie to being a complete bust his second year to again rebounding his third year. Why? Stefanski, offensive line. Beckham, not important. He's injured, he's out. Not important in the grand scheme of things. It's about the coach, the general manager, and the offensive line for a quarterback. Critical. So away we go to Los Angeles. Predict the score. I don't think we should go that route. It's dangerous. It uh, flies off the handle. It gets a little hilarious. So we'll just say the Jets lead the tank race by half a game. And uh, keep an eye on Minshew and the Jags, as I'm sure everyone will be rooting for them in northern New Jersey, Long Island, Queens, Staten Island and the surrounding areas. Check out jetsxfactor.com. Rate and review Sable Radio on iTunes. Get us on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, all the 
all the various platforms, YouTube, obviously, as well, Facebook, etc. Root for those Jags on Sunday. Until next time. 